We're in the season of Lent, and, uh, and Lent is that season of 40 days before Resurrection Sunday in the season of Easter. Christians historically all around the world use the season of Lent as a time of reflection and repentance, asking the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to anything in our lives that we need to turn away from so that we can fully, robustly, joyfully uh, celebrate on Easter Sunday all that God has done for us. Uh, And so during this Lenten season, we're in this undivided sermon series, and Pastor Michelle kicked us off uh, last week. I heard I missed a a really good sermon last week. Is that true? Is that true? Yeah, I heard. I was in New York uh, visiting some churches and some church planters last weekend, and uh, and Maggie texted me halfway through Pastor Michelle's sermon. She's like, she is going in. You are missing out. So that's the perfect text I want to get when I'm away from New Community on a Sunday. Um, so uh, we are an unapologetically multi-ethnic church for the sake of the gospel. We believe uh, that God has called us to prioritize reconciled, diverse community within a very segregated city. Amen? We believe that this is kind of our one thing as a church. This is the thing about us that ought to be so unique, so strange in Chicago that people have to learn about Jesus in order to understand who we are. Does that make sense to you? They need to walk in here on a Sunday morning. They need to see the way we live together, the way we love one another, the way we serve our neighbors and go, that makes no sense to me. And we say, I know, let me tell you about Jesus. You got to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, reconciling us to God and to one another before you can understand. So it's an opportunity for us corporately to bear witness to the gospel together. So because that's our one thing, because we prioritize that, because our identity is as a reconciled and reconciling community, then we, again, unapologetically spend a lot of time talking about issues of race, ethnicity, history, culture. These are very important themes for us, and we have to spend time, again, regularly noticing what are the the places in which we can become divided in those places of race, ethnicity, and culture. Because, again, this is our identity, who God has called us to. So we need to focus on that. And yet we don't want to lose sight of the fact that the same evil that would seek to divide us in the areas of race, ethnicity, culture, that same evil is at work to divide us in other areas as well. Amen? So just because we prioritize as a church certain things doesn't mean that there aren't other things for us to pay attention to when it comes to being divided. And so Pastor Michelle kicked us off last week by acknowledging the division historically and contemporary about between men and women. So if you missed that sermon when it's up on the a podcast, please do take a look at that. So for the next few weeks, we'll continue in this series identifying uh, ways in which we are divided from one another. Uh, a quick uh, ask for help. Um, next week, I'll be talking about the division between married people and single people. And so, and then we'll do actually a panel discussion the following week where we'll dig into that even a little bit more. Uh, so if you're somebody who might be interested in helping out with that panel, uh, if you are married or single, that would be everybody, uh, then you can find me and let me know and I could uh, maybe ask you to help out with that. So today, though, we're going to spend time looking at a place of division that I don't think actually Uh, most of us consider or think about most of the time. And that is the division between adults and children. The division between adults and children. So, again, we're in the Gospel of uh, Mark this morning, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Uh, When you have found that, uh, please go ahead and stand up uh, for the reading of God's Word. Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. Uh, when you have that on your, in your Bible, 
or on your phone, or whatever, whatever technology you happen to be using this morning. Go ahead and stand and uh, for the reading of God's Word. This is a shorter passage, so I'm going to ask that you read this with me out loud. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked him. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, the little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And now, Spirit of God, be uh, the teacher and the preacher this morning. Be the interpreter of your timeless word for our time-bound lives. Uh, Take what may be a new uh, thought for some of us, the ways in which adults and children are separated and divided from each other, and speak your gospel into it today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Some of you will find this passage uh, somewhat familiar, uh, and so I want to unfamiliarize you a little bit with it this morning. Uh, There's a different way that I want us to look at this passage today. Um, Same passage, just kind of set uh, set apart in a little in a little bit of a different way. So four four movements here that I want us to see uh, very briefly this morning. The first, starting from the top, is the people bringing the children to Jesus, and then indented. Uh, secondly, is the disciples rebuking them, and then again uh, indented. The third movement, Jesus responding uh, to the disciples rebuking the kids, and then mirroring the first movement at the very bottom. The fourth movement here is Jesus receiving the children in his arms. So those will be sort of our four very brief movements today, and I want you to see how the first and the fourth uh, seem to be intentionally mirroring each other, and the two in the middle are a response uh, to each other. So keep that framework in mind uh, as we move through this. The first movement is the, the children being brought to Jesus for his blessing, and according to the parallel passage in the Gospel of, Ma- of Matthew, for Jesus to pray for those children. Uh, The way that the the original language um, is set up in this passage, and again in the parallel passages as well, in Luke and in Matthew, it's likely that it was older children bringing the younger children to Jesus. It may have been parents, but it's entirely likely that it was slightly older children. So you can imagine Hadassah bringing Prisca to Jesus, an an older child bringing a sibling or an older child bringing another kid from the neighborhood who was younger to Jesus. Why? Why is this happening. This is not a particularly normal scene in the Gospels. We don't see anything like this in the rest of Mark. What's, what's happening here? In Jesus' day, children were very vulnerable. Uh, there's a, a recorded a piece of a letter uh, from this time, from the Palestinian region, of a, of a father who was away for the birth of his first child, and he's writing in this letter to his wife, to the child's mother, and he writes, If it was a male child, let it live. If it was a female, cast it out. And this was a common practice, infanticide, particularly related uh, to gender uh, in this this time. Continues to be uh, in our day. 
In in Jesus' day, only 50% of children lived past the age of 10. It was a a one-in-two chance that your child would make it past his or her 10th birthday. Unless a child was born into a wealthy family, children began working manual labor at a very, very early age. There was rampant physical and sexual abuse. These were vulnerable people, these children who were coming to Jesus. And like other marginalized and wounded people, they are responding to Jesus' invitation. They're responding to his invitation to a new kingdom where the last would be first, where justice would reign. That's the first movement. The children are brought to Jesus. And what happens? The disciples rebuke them. They get in the way of Jesus. They present an obstacle. They stop the children from coming to Jesus. In their response to the children, the disciples are reflecting the values of their culture rather than the values of the kingdom. Did you, do you see that? In blocking the children from coming, the disciples are reflecting the values of their culture rather than the values of the kingdom of God. I wonder how we do the same. One in four children under the age of five in Illinois lives in poverty. One in three children in Chicago live in poverty. Of those children in poverty, 50% of African American children live in poverty. 36% of Latino children live in poverty. 20% of Asian children live in poverty, and 8% of white children live in poverty. How how are we presenting obstacles to our children, to the kingdom of God? Among industrialized nations, America has the third highest rate of infant mortality. We have the second highest rate of teenage pregnancy. How is it that we, like the disciples, are rebuking children, keeping them from the kingdom of God where they are meant to flourish. In Chicago, we have 200,000 children who live in food deserts, neighborhoods where it's very difficult to access healthy and fresh food. Everywhere Jesus went, he proclaimed that a new kingdom with a new king had come near. A new kingdom, a new king. Those who were benefiting from the old corrupt kingdom of the Herods and of Rome did not hear Jesus' proclamation as good news. They were doing quite well under the old corrupt, unjust system, thank you very much. And so they rejected the gospel of this kingdom. But there was another group of people who heard Jesus' gospel, and these people had experienced the worst of the Roman Empire. They were an occupied people, a marginalized people, a people who were valued only as commodities. And it was these people who heard the proclamation of this new kingdom and embraced it as the best possible news. And this group included kids. In Jesus, they found a protector. In Jesus, they found a savior. In Jesus, they found an adult who actually saw them and saw them as image bearers of God with the capacity to know God and to love God. And so those children came to him, bringing the younger ones with them. 
And the disciples rebuked them. The disciples got in their way. Let's remember that the disciples had also responded to the good news of God's kingdom. The disciples had also responded to Jesus' invitation to draw near. The disciples had also experienced the hardship and the injustices of the Roman Empire. These disciples, recipients of grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy, now made it impossible for the children to experience that same grace. Here we have the division between children and adults. And more specifically, here we have the division between the ignored and neglected children in our city and we adults who claim the grace of God as our primary identity. Now maybe you are not physically standing between a child and the kingdom of God. There are far too many hungry and frightened and isolated and hopeless children in our neighborhoods to let any of us off the hook this morning. We are none of us innocent bystanders. And if there's any question in our minds about how God views our ambivalence toward children, it becomes crystal clear in verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. What does that word mean? Indignant? Furious? Angry? It's the only place in the New Testament is this story where this word is used about Jesus. Furious. Angry. Indignant. That the children are being kept from him. How are we like the disciples? Jesus responds out of his anger in three ways very quickly to his disciples. The first is that he calls them out for blocking their approach to him. Secondly, he says that the kingdom of God is going to be filled with those who, like these children, can receive it as a gift. And then he turns the spotlight directly on to his disciples. These followers of His have somehow come to think of themselves as the guardians, as the gatekeepers of the kingdom of God. Implicitly, they assume that they are inside of the kingdom and others are outside of it. But Jesus makes it plain that these disciples should assume very, very little. Jesus makes it plain that their actions call into question whether they have actually received the kingdom that Jesus had proclaimed or whether it was one of their own making. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Anyone will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, will never enter it. It's one of Marvin's favorite passages. Jesus flips the situation upside down. It's not the disciples who best represent Jesus and his kingdom. It's the children. 
It's not the adults with their knowledge and their experience who understand what Jesus is up to. It's the kids. The kingdom of God belongs to those like these children who understand at a very deep level that they cannot earn the kingdom. That they must receive the kingdom of God as the extravagant gift that it is. Which leads me to two reflective questions. Are we adults accurately representing to the children of our church and to our city a vision of this gracious kingdom? Secondly, have we... The adults of this church maintained our own childlike posture toward the kingdom? Or like the disciples, have we gotten it twisted and come to trust our own knowledge and experience? Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It's clearly a direct invitation to the kids, but it's an invitation to each of us as well. It's an invitation for you and for me to reject the cynicism and the self-reliance and the protective front that passes for adulthood in our culture. It's an invitation for you and for me to come to Jesus as a child with no claim, with no entitlement, with only the expectation of a gift we do not deserve and a gift we deeply need. And the passage ends. Jesus took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus will not allow the children to be stopped by the adult disciples who are misrepresenting the kingdom of God. Jesus will not allow the children to be kept from him. Luke's language here is very active. Jesus took, he placed, he blessed them. These are verbs, these are action words about what Jesus does for the children in the face of the disciples' rebuke. This is active language for us as well. It's an active call for us as well. And we can faithfully accept it only when we, like children, understand our inability to enter the kingdom of God through our knowledge, through our strength, through our experience. We can successfully resist our culture's destructive attitudes towards kids only when we remember our own childlike dependence on the grace of God. Do you remember? Once we remember our identity as God's children, once we embrace the joy of a childlike faith, a faith that walks with Jesus anticipating the grace upon grace, then we are compelled to act. Like Jesus, we cannot tolerate any longer those systems and those leaders who demean and destroy our kids. Like him, we will act to ensure that nothing comes between our children and the blessings of our Savior. Amen? Amen. By the way, 
This is why our relationship with Jackie Robinson Elementary School is so important to us. It's not just because we need something to do. Do you need something else to do in your life? Anybody, anybody, anybody just sitting around bored with nothing to do? Let me know. I'll give you something. I've got some things I can delegate. We prioritize this relationship because of Jesus' posture toward children and because of our own conviction of our childlike faith. This is why we include our children in worship on the first Sunday of the month. Let me just say this again to you. We talk about this somewhat regularly, but we don't keep our kids in the service because we find them to be helpful in focusing on the sermon. Right? We don't keep our kids in the sermon because uh, we parents are sitting around going, you know what would be really relaxing? Is if in a room full of adults trying to be quiet, I brought my three-year-old and just kind of tried to, you know, like that. We're not, right, Daniel? We're not thinking that, right? That's not happening. Right? Why, do we keep, why do we keep our kids in the service? Because it's incredibly important to us that at least on a monthly basis, from the youngest child to the oldest child, they Understand, it just with, with no apologies, this is my church. I'm welcomed here as I am. When I squirm, when I cry, when I get hungry, when I get bored, I am welcomed exactly for who I am. Can somebody say amen? And it's incredibly important for us, the adults of this church, to be reminded through the squeaks and the squawks and the cries and the nudges and the moving that this is us. It's not them children, those children. This is us, the church, together. Amen? Amen. Because this message is not communicated anywhere else. You need to grow up. You need to get your act together. You need to be able to sit still. You need, and on and on the list goes. But here, for two hours on a Sunday, our children, our youth need to know I am seen, I am valued, I am loved. Period. Amen? Amen? This is why... We are actively praying that God would raise up a youth leader in our church. We've had amazing volunteer youth leaders over the years doing amazing stuff with our youth. We believe it's time to take the next step with our youth ministry. So we are organizing and praying that God would raise up somebody, a volunteer leader in this church, who would be able to take our youth ministry to the next level and coordinate with Young Life and the students uh, uh, in, in this park district, in this neighborhood, so that the youth of our neighborhood can hear very clearly and see demonstrated very clearly, I am seen, I am loved, I am valued. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we do our best to organize ourselves around this. Uh, about a year and a half or so ago, I was at a meeting with uh, the CEO of Chicago Public Schools. And this was right when the news was coming out about how many schools were going to be closed in Chicago. More schools being closed in Chicago than any other time in history. Most of those schools in brown and black neighborhoods. You remember? You remember? And so I was at this meeting, and 
the, the administration was trying to assure um, pastors and community leaders that this wouldn't have a negative influence on our children. And, um, and one of the things that was said that I found super fascinating was, you know, the problem, this was again from the administration, the problem with closing the schools, it's not with the kids, it's the adults. The adults are the one making the big stink about this and the problem. Kids, this person said, are resilient. They're going to be just fine. And I wanted to say, bull. Of course our kids are resilient. We know that, right? There's a reason why we cradle a newborn, why we make sure that she is cared for and protected from the elements. There's reasons why those of you who are teachers kind of cringe inside and something in you turns over when you see one of your children being bullied at school. There's a reason why when we hear about youth in our neighborhoods feeling compelled to choose which clique, which gang to affiliate with, that something deep inside of us groans. There's a reason why for many of us we can trace places of our addictions and anxieties and brokenness to a place of trauma in our childhood. What was happening in that moment as the CEO was trying to convince us that the kids will be okay, what was happening and what we buy into so often is this division between adults and kids. Because we forget. Adults, we forget. We forget what it's like to be a child who is being rebuked and kept from the flourishing kingdom of God. We also forget, hear this please, we also forget that we come to this kingdom only through a childlike faith. That's the invitation to you today. As we come to the table and take the bread and dip it in the cup, This is the invitation to you today. That you would not stand between implicitly, complicitly, or actively any child in our city and the flourishing kingdom of God. And the invitation also is to reclaim, to come back to that childlike faith. The kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus, can only be accepted and embraced and enjoyed because it's a gift. Period. You have done nothing to own it. You have done nothing to deserve it. There is no motive in you pure enough. There is nothing in you strong enough that would allow you on your own merit this morning to say, this is for me, but it's not for you. Amen? Holy Spirit, invite us to the table. Invite all of us to the table this morning and allow us to hear your gospel again a gospel that is free, a gospel that is grace-embodied, but also a gospel that would require us to maintain our humility, to maintain the knowledge of our own childlikeness. God, we pray and we ask for your forgiveness for any ways in which we individually or corporately have rebuked children have kept children in our city, in our church, in our neighborhoods from knowing in their bones that there is a God who loves them. Forgive us, God, and change us.
Open our hearts and our minds to the gospel again today, that we would receive this food and this drink, the body and the blood of Christ, as children sitting at the table, thankful for the gift that we could never earn on our own. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.